Welcome to Bridge City Church. We are here to lead people in a deeper relationship with Jesus and to grow the church locally, nationally and internationally. We pray you are blessed by this message. The altar is consumed completely and 400 prophets of Baal are killed. And then he prays for the drought to break and it does. Banana. But then, a great result there. But then the following situation plays out. I'm going to ask Daniel to come and read, rather than me reading continuously throughout, I'm going to ask Daniel to read out of 1 Kings chapter 19. There's 10 verses and then there's 15. Thanks, mate. Uh, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came up again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, 
to replace you as my prophet. Thanks, Daniel. <clears throat> Just gave me a break. So there we are. Elijah sees an incredible result in that, and yet Jezebel eats back and, and just with simple words throws him into this, this moment of fear. I love that question. Where, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's actually a good question for us to ask ourselves. <laughs> what are you doing here? That's another, we'll get back to that soon, I think. Let's push on. Probably, I don't think even that Elijah needed the answer to that question at that point in his life. So yeah, so fresh off that victory at Mount Carmel and that breaking that three-year drought, they'd won the grand final, wouldn't they? He'd, Elijah had won the grand final. He'd got a result. He was um, underway. The prophets of Baal were slaughtered and the ground was soaked with life-giving rain. But yet, at that point, he was gripped by fear. Gripped by fear. Leaving the doubt sown by the enemy, he focused, he tries to focus our minds on lies and half-truths. Negative thoughts. This is too much for me. I can't go any longer. I can't see a solution to this problem. Well, this is going to kill me. Has anyone said that? This is going to kill me. Dangerous words to speak out over our lives. Our words have power. Fear is unbelief. Unbelief. We begin to think about the what ifs and the maybes under fear. We find ourselves in dangerous territory. We begin to think that God is not in a position to save us, that he's not prepared to take care of us, that he's not able to pick us up and carry us through this valley that we find ourselves in sometimes. Maybe the God's miraculous power we spoke about and read about was just for the biblical times. It was not for us today. That begins Those fears begin to sow in our heart. That God has not be able to restore, to heal, to vindicate me in those moments when I'm betrayed and when I've, I'm at those at that moments of my lowest. Yeah. We begin to believe, uh, we believe quite differently, we begin to believe that we are on our own. That in our own moment, our best efforts, no matter how feeble they are, are all we have. That God has abandoned us. Has anyone ever been in a meeting when someone has moved a motion of no confidence in someone? Anyone been in that meeting like that? It's, it's not, a, not a great space to find yourself in when that happens, is it? It's not a great space. Scripture tells us that now faith is confidence in what we, we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So for us, fear is a motion of no confidence in God. We can be overwhelmed by the task at hand. But Paul writes to that young, his young protege, Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. What, fear, what does fear do to us? It stops us. It stops us in our tracks. It causes us to retreat. It causes us to come back, to be timid and to selfishly try and rely on our own resources to not be prepared to step in that. It's faith versus fear. We've, you've heard plenty of messages preached about faith versus fear. So if out of faith, in that place of fear, we rely on our own things. It weakens us and begins to shrink our world. It causes us to react and not respond. 
it's hard to carry this, the presence of God into someone's life when we react, react to the situation and not respond. It's hard to see what God sees when we are rocked by someone's harsh words spoken into our lives. But the reality is that we are called to see people through the eyes of God because we don't know their journey or their battles as we do life together. As I said before, one thing we do know is each and every person is loved by God. Each and every person that we come across. God is faithful. As I look back over my life, I think, well, was there a moment where God ever left me? Was there a trial or challenge that he did not carry me through? Was there a day that he did not sustain me? And if I look back and reflect, he has. The reality is, the fact that I'm standing here means that he has done that. He's carried me through to this point. He's brought brought me this far by his grace, his unmerited generosity, and his grace alone today. There's three great scriptures I want to put up on the screen this morning that says that, which encourages us. Psalm 27 one says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my refuge. Whom shall I fear? With your help I will make a mighty storm. With my God with me, no city wall is too high for me. God himself said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore we may say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I know no fear. What can man do to me? Yeah. When we live in that place of faith, those moments of seeming failure and disappointment don't have their potency in this place. We view it in the light of Paul's words to the Corinthians. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength comes into full effect when you are weak, at our weakest point. So what causes us to lapse to that fear? We've got faith versus fear I spoke about before. And I was, what causes us to lapse towards that fear? And I really believe that it's this word burnout. If you're in a place of continued stress, then we can face burnout. And burnout, in simple definition, is the ex- becoming exhausted physically, mentally and spiritually. We can, we can find ourselves in that place, gripped by fear and doubt and losing the ability to even experience joy in the things that used to bring us joy. Overwhelmed by the prospect of what the future might bring. Just like Elijah, we can allow ourselves to become fatigued and famished. And... Uh, the reality is that weariness and hunger will make us do things that probably we normally wouldn't do. When we are hungry and weary, we make choices that won't always benefit us in the long run. Twix, case in point. Stay away from the Twix. Appetites are met in a fashion which is not appropriate, which is not helpful to us in those moments when we are in that place. If we go back prior to this moment, we go back to Elijah, we can see that he would have been tired. The scripture records that he was empowered to run ahead of Ahab and to meet him at Jezreel. I don't know if you're familiar with that story. So he, he, he girded his loins, it says in the King James, girded his loins and ran ahead of the, of the chariots to get there. Now that run, according to my study Bible, tells me that it was at least 25 kilometres he had to run to be in front of those guys, maybe 35. I don't run for anything, do I, Bob? If we go back even further, it also records that King uh, that uh, 
um, Elijah was tired. Three and a half years prior, as Elijah proclaims the doubt, and remember he ran away, he, he spent time, God called him out in the wilderness and the ravens, fed him with bread and meat. Better response. He was called to a place of rest by God and he was restored at that point. But this time, this time was very different when he, when he, when he ran away. In that moment of fatigue and famine, we can lose our focus. And focus has been a, it's really been a continued theme of what God is presenting to us, I believe, as a church family. We are going to the other side. We've got a plan to go to the other side. God's called us to something different. And we've got to understand that, that with that focus, stay with that, fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author, and finisher of our faith to make that our purpose. And at that point, in that point of um, lack of focus, we begin to see a sense of futility coming into our lives. Without a vision, the people perish. We need that sense of vision in our lives. Elijah makes the comment, I'm no better than my father's. He prays that he might die. And, um, and I think we've all been in that moment when we feel like everything seems futile, everything has lost its purpose we're in amongst good company job a godly man moses a great leader and jeremiah a great prophet all cried out to god saying my life is pointless take me out of this situation we've all put that it's not a thing that um, is limited to us in those moments it all becomes too hard too painful too confusing the temptation is to run i'm a leave um, many years ago, I worked with a young man at, um, at uh, Murrable Community College over the border. And um, whenever we got him into a situation where he was under pressure, when he felt like he was uncomfortable, he would just see the door and bolt. He would literally run out the door if you could get him through the door in the first place. But the moment that pressure came, he would just go, take flight. And so that was with Elijah. He just said, I'm out of here. And I think that can be the cry of our heart when we can't see that future, when our focus and that futility begins to over, over, overwhelm us. When we can't see a resolution or a result. Again, the sport, sport analogy, that picture of not being seeing what the future holds. We sing a song, don't we? It says, even when we can't see it, you're working. Sometimes he works in our discomfort. Sometimes we can run before God has let the opportunity to reveal his plan for us in that moment. So what is God's plan for Elijah? How does he deal with him? Does he chastise him, tell him to toughen up? Give him a three-quarter time speech, let's go, come on, let's go. No, quite the contrary. The first thing he does is feed him. Again, remembering it was the end of a three-year famine, a three-year drought. And for those of who have any spent any time on the land or in, in, been involved in agriculture, we understand that when the rain comes, it's great, but it doesn't mean that it rains feed, it doesn't mean that it rains food. It's a starting point of a process. There's a process and a season to see harvest. But yet again, God provides for him. After that, again, if that picture of a harvest 
So that if the first year of the drought, they'd sown their crop and that crop had failed. The second year, they'd sown their crop and their crop had failed. So the chances are they hadn't eaten any bread for at least two years. Let's just imagine that smell of freshly cooked bread. Not for three years. And there's another whole message about, about the preciousness of that gift to Elijah, given that that was such a scarce resource that God gave him the best at that point when he was at his worst. Gave him the best, the most precious thing he had when he was at his worst. And again, it's worth noting that at the immediate point, God asks no questions. He simply attends to his immediate physical needs at that point. He doesn't ask him any questions, doesn't begin to plough into him with um, interrogations. Next thing is furlough. So the definition of furlough is an involuntary leave of absence from our employment. Now, we had a debate about whether it's voluntary or involuntary, but the dictionary tells me that it's an involuntary leave of absence from our employment. God took him out of the game at that point. He chose chose to to set him up to have a moment, a season out of the game where he wasn't in that situation where it was really causing him difficulty. Because we've been in that moment, if any of us have been in those moments on the edge of being burned out, this is a fog of war. We know that we're in a battle, but we're never really sure who's winning or losing. We just don't have any idea about what's going on. So God takes him out of that. Yeah. Sleep. Again, the priority was he slept first, then he ate, which for me highlights that power of rest in our lives. Now, we know you're designed to have one day off a week, aren't we? It's a pattern that's set for us. We need to be to honour that pattern that God's placed in our hands. And we understand there are incredible benefits in rest, physical rest, emotional rest and spiritual rest. So, Elijah was strengthened by the feeding and the furlough. And at that point, God decides to call him out on that journey for 40 days. So he takes him out of that stress point for the best part of what's that? six weeks. Is that right? Seven, six is a 42. So six weeks out of that place. Now, we've just returned from a road trip to New South Wales to go to the Gold Coast. It was 4,000 kilometres, four states, about 40 hours in the car, all up. Um, sounds horrendous, doesn't it, to think about that? <laughs> but can I say that we, I was completely energised by the experience. We had the opportunity to be somewhere different, out of the, out of the environment we were in, and uh, just experience some completely different things. So the, the thing that we think would um, actually drain us energised us to be in that different place, to be prepared to go with God to a different place and take that involuntary furlough, involuntary furlough, step out of that place, somewhere different. We need to have a break. The science of recovery says to us that we need three weeks of continuous rest to be able to recover from the rigours of a year's work. I don't know how many people have had three weeks holiday off in a row, ever. <laughs> but that's, this is science. No, you, can't, you can't argue with science. Well, you can argue with science, but um, it says that essentially that that's what we need. So the first week, if you've ever been on holidays, 
the first week was what we usually do is we simply curl up and go to sleep, don't we? The first week of, of that break. So that's our body recovering then. The second week we begin to read a book or maybe go with the kids to do some things and climb and you know, do some sightseeing in that second week. And the third week, sometimes we'd start to get a bit bored. We think, well, you know, this is, I've had enough of this, so time to, time to go back to work. So that's, you're not actually getting bored. That's just, I've got to run through that. So we, we are trying to tripartite beings, aren't we? Spirit, soul, and body. The first week, our, our bodies are attended. The second week, our souls begin, like our emotions begin to build up. The third week, our spirit begins to be restored, and we begin to have a vision. We begin to have, have that vision for what God's called us to do. And we're not bored. With that vision comes back to our eyes. So be encouraged that that's a valuable thing. So when you go to your boss, just say, honestly, this is science proves us that we need to have three weeks off and allow you to fully recover the rigours of the life that we, that we live. And so Elijah sets off to Mount Sinai he's re- and he seeks the presence of God at that place and he is rewarded. 48, 40, they said, nearly six weeks of journey. Yeah. Whatever it takes to find ourselves in the presence of God. Can I encourage this one that we need to do that? We need to be prepared to do whatever it takes to be in the presence of God. If it's praying at 5am in the morning, do it. God bless you, do it. I won't be there, but <laughs> whatever it takes to get to, to make that, to have that place of being with God. Find, that, find the thing that does it and, and do it. And then finally, Elijah asks, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And it's that moment in the mountain that the future is revealed to Elijah. Yet that cry of his heart at that point was for protection, for protection and for companionship. He was feeling like he was alone. He was feeling like he was exposed at that point. And God, in his, in his mercy at that point, ministers to Elijah. He says to him, he meets those needs that he's put forward. He puts his foot on the right path. He introduces Jehu and Elisha, people who are going to serve him and, and to, to take him to that next place. So, yeah. Our faith can be overwhelmed by fear. Let's be, that's, that's what I want to speak to you this one. This is how we conclude. We can become fatigued and famished. We can lose our focus. A sense of futility can set in out of that. That the urge to take flight can take over. But what we need at that point is feeding and furlough. So fellowship with God and others can reset our future. How to guard against burnout. As I said, it's really important that we, we, we embrace that because we have got a task and an assignment set. We are going to the other side. And things are going to come against us. So we need to be in that place of being aware of that and seeking those things. The good news of Jesus today is that he himself said to us that his burden is light and his yoke is easy. And the other good news this morning is that whosoever will may come. Regardless of your social status, regardless of how you feel about yourself, not restricted by age or by gender, by anything. That is not true. Whosoever will may come to be a part of God's story. So be blessed this morning. I pray that you'll be encouraged by that. We're going to spend some time. I'm going to pray for you guys in a moment. Then we'll take the chance to open up the order. If you've got some needs that you want to be prayed for, spirit, soul, or body, we're happy to pray for you. If not, you're welcome to spend some time in the cafe after church. So let me just pray as we finish.
Father God, I thank you that you're just intimately interested in every part of our life, spirit, soul, and body. And I pray that that picture of compassion, in those moments when we feel like we've, we've failed, that we've made the wrong choices, that we've run out of rope, that we've, we've just uh, at the end of our opportunities to move forward, Father, that you are there with us, Father. You seek to feed us, to comfort us, to rest us, and to set our foot firmly on that ground of, of firm future to put in place people that can walk with us to take us to the next destiny father father we just thank you for that in jesus name we pray amen amen thank you for joining with us today if you would like to find out more you can get in touch with us on our website at bridgecitychurch.com.au see you next time